Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is August 3rd, 2020. And here with me, as always, is my friend who's about to launch another trip around the sun. Of course, that makes her this week's birthday star, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Happy birthday, April. Thank you, Jen. It's a couple of days away, but I'm already feeling it. It's your birthday. It is my birthday, and the excitement is mounting. Do you have any plans for your birthday? Well, there will be cake. Let there be cake. And it will probably be carrot cake because that's my favorite oh god you just spoke to me yeah, did i you just spoke to me well <laughs> you know i mean our options for celebration are a little more limited this year that's true there is a pandemic happening you know and i would like to be celebrating with friends and things and if i wanted to i could really make that happen but Really, just some very delicious takeout from someplace okay. would be great and celebrating with my sweetie. And that's Aww, yeah. probably it. And I did tell him there was only the one thing I wanted, which was a kitten, but I'm not quite sure that's how that's going to happen. <laughs> so we'll, <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. I know. But having a birthday, of course, means that, as you said, I'm getting ready to have another trip around the sun. Correct. And in astrology, we mark the moment of the solar return. Now, we've talked on the podcast before about other returns, right? We've talked about Saturn returns on episode 11, and we talked about lunar returns. Lunar returns on episode 20. I wrote down the episodes, but I didn't write <laughs> but, down what they were for. Ah, well, that is what we talked that about. That was not helpful. <laughs> well, and we kept thinking that we had talked about solar returns, but I guess we were waiting for the moment that one of us had a birthday and I got there first. Your first, yeah. The firstest with the mostest. Right. Well, so tell us about it, April. What can you tell people about the solar return? Well, the sun was at a very specific degree and minute of the zodiac at the time of your birth. And it takes it about a year, of course, to make a complete lap around the sun and return to that exact spot. And that will always happen either on your birthday or a day up to two either side. Oh, up to two. Okay. Yeah. If you're born very late in the day and then you move a great distance from where you're born, this kind of thing can make it change dates a bit. That makes sense. Yeah. So mine will actually be on the evening before my birthday. So maybe I'll sneak a couple of celebrations in. Maybe I'll make it a two-day celebration. Yeah. And what you do is you create a chart for that exact moment that the sun returns to its natal spot. We call that the solar return chart. And people debate the location that you should use for calculating the chart. Because this return will happen you know, at different times, depending on where you are. Right, because you were born in Indiana. Correct. But you're living in San Diego. I'm living in San Diego. And I'm in Minneapolis. <laughs> we haven't said that in a while. You're, I know you were trying to convince me before that we started recording that I should come spend my birthday in Minneapolis. Yeah, totally. In the hopes of getting a better looking solar return chart. Yes, of course. So yeah. I'm taking that under advisement, Jen. We'll take a look. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. You consider that. <laughs> Let me know. But people debate <laughs> where they want to calculate the chart for it. Some people do calculate it for the place where you were born because the thought is, well, I mean, when does the sun get back to where it actually started in your life, which is where you were born? That makes sense. And then there are people who, like me, use the place where you're living. I mean, not just where you're at on your birthday, but where you're actually living for the, most of the time that year. And then other people will use the chart for where you are. 
and that will lead some people to travel to different places in the world to try to get a chart where all the planets, you know, are in the places where they want them. Yeah, right. I was telling you about a friend that used to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think his life was necessarily a testimonial to the efficacy of that approach. But many people like to do it. And hey, whatever you like to use. Yeah. So I will be using my solar return chart for San Diego. And what you do with the solar return chart, it kind of gives you a snapshot of the solar year ahead from one birthday to the next. So you'll look at the house of the chart that the sun falls in. Right. You will look at the house of the chart that has Leo on the cusp because that is a house that's ruled by the sun. Mm -hmm. And you will look at aspects then from the sun to other planets in the chart and especially planets that are close to the angles, the ascendant and descendant and the MC and IC. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the important points in a solar return chart. And they're really, really kind of amazing little documents. They will reflect in some way what we also see in your transits and progressions for the year. The same themes emerge, but it's this nice little like Cliff Notes version of your year ahead, just all in one chart. So they're really fascinating to look at. Is it calculated, for example, I know in your chart, because we just looked at it, Mercury's at the very end of Cancer in your solar return chart. All right. Is that because that's where Mercury will be on that day? Correct. Or is it kind of an average? No, that's where Mercury is. It's like a transit chart. It's just a chart of the moment. Got it. So all the current positions of the planets. I was never sure if it was the mean, you know, the average. Oh, right. Between the natal. Or how they calculated that exactly. Mm. No, it's just the moment that the sun returns to that exact point in longitude. Got it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to working with a new solar return return chart. And what I find is I often start to see the themes in the solar return start to emerge maybe about a month out, Mm. like about a month before my birthday. Mm -hmm. And they're interesting to work with. I do sell a report on my website, Big Sky Astrology. If people want to look it up, it's called Your Solar Return, I think. But the text was written by an astrologer named Mary Shea, who is an expert in solar returns. And she wrote a book actually on the topic that I think that a lot of the text for this report is derived from. Her insights into the solar return chart are just uncanny. She's a really, really excellent astrologer and a really good writer. But if you're interested in looking at your own solar return chart, yeah, we can run it any time of the year, even if you don't have a birthday soon. For sure. Go ahead and uh, check out my website and find that report in the shop because I run it for myself every year. I love this report. Oh, yeah. yeah. I will link it in the show notes for folks. Of course. That would be good. Yeah. So that is my birthday. And your son is in the seventh house. Yeah. In the solar return chart, it will be in the seventh house. It's a pretty significant year often when you get the sun in one of the angular houses. Yeah, the 1st, 4th, 7th, and 10th. So Okay. So anyway, that's my birthday, and in a couple of months, we can take a look at your solar return. Oh, excellent. Yes. Well, and so very happy birthday to you, my friend. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I hope it's a good year for you. Me too. It's the last one with a five in the front of it. So I'm kind of <laughs> looking down the barrel of that new decade coming up. Looking at 60. It doesn't bother me, though. Yeah, good. It, the best is yet to come, right? Well, this is it's what I've got to work with. So we're going to say, <laughs> yes, this, it's going to be the best. I'm going to say one more thing, April, about your birthday. I might have a birthday song for you, April. (gasps) 
Really? Maybe. We'll see. Oh, we'll see. I'm very excited. Perhaps I can weave a birthday song into this <gasps> if I can talk my wife, Joni, into <gasps> singing with me. We do quite a rendition together. Oh, my goodness. We will see. I await with some excitement and enthusiasm. <laughs> Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear April, happy birthday to you. So there is one more thing that we will say about my birthday, Jenna, and then we will move on to news of more general interest. Okay. As everyone knows, we love our national days. Of celebration. Of course. And there are two national days that I really love that fall on my birthday, August 5th. Pray tell, what are those? Well, one is work like a dog day. (laughs) And I love that because you and I know that I'm constantly working. But the other one really caught your imagination, and it is National Underwear Day. So, of course, you could work like a dog in your underwear. (laughs) (laughs) And combine both. (laughs) That's an excellent idea. I feel a theme coming on. And I think if I get decorations on my birthday cake, they might have a very distinctive flair this year. I'll text you photos of my dogs that day as well. I love that. It'll all come together. (laughs) I don't think your dogs work that hard. I think they have a pretty sweet life, little doggies. You're right. You're right. Yeah. All right. Well, although my birthday is by far the most exciting news of the week, at least for me. Of course. (laughs) We want to note that this week begins with Moonwatch. 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 Play it. All right. Well, this week brings us a full moon at 11 degrees and 46 minutes of Aquarius on August 3rd at 8.59 a.m. Pacific time. This is on the Sabian symbol, people on stairs graduated upward. I like that. I do, too. You can think of people either on a staircase or an escalator or something like that. Well, you had kind of an interesting thought about this symbol. Yeah, you can picture them going up the stairs and the people on the stairs above the other people can see farther because they are going upward. And Aquarius, as we were saying earlier, is a future-focused sign. Mm -hmm. And so there's some vision associated with this. That kind of goes well, as you said, with something that's in Aquarius Yeah, that is future-oriented. And also, both of the Sabian symbols at this full moon are about more than one person. They're about groups. People on stairs graduated upward. That's the moon's Sabian symbol. The sun is on the Sabian symbol for an evening lawn party, which I very much enjoy especially this time of year here in the U.S. when it's summer. And the idea of an evening lawn party is very lovely. It is nice. It's quite charming. Mm -hmm. But not all will necessarily go entirely smoothly at this lawn party because on the day of the full moon, the sun and moon are both square Uranus. Uranus is slowing down. It's going to turn retrograde next week, and we'll follow up with everybody about that and tell you more about that then. But the sun and the moon are in this fractious aspect to Uranus. Right. Uranus, of course, is about disruption, about being thrown out of our comfort zone. 
imagine a, an evening lawn party where you go in there. It's not just all your close buddies. It's a bunch of people maybe you don't know, and you're having to really put your best foot forward and figure out how to talk to new people about new things. It's not necessarily a traumatic aspect, although, I mean, obviously it can be. Yeah. But I think of it more just on the at ground level where most of us live. Is it's just about the things that just kind of put us off our rhythm a little bit. Okay. And the purpose of that is to wake us up and make sure that we're really paying attention to the world around us and what we want to do. And Uranus is always about things that you can't predict. Exactly. And it's a tough one for astrologers, as you can imagine. Right. People come to us and you see Uranus transiting. You go, well, something's changing. They're like, what? What is that? I don't know. It's Uranus. You can only guess it exactly. But you can go back to previous times in a person's life when Uranus has done things and get a sense of what it does for them. Yeah. That is the full moon. That's kind of everybody. And especially, again, when we talk about full moons, relationships are often at a pivotal point as well. And with Uranus, this can be something that happens in a relationship that takes you aback, startles you, wakes you up. It can be that the status of the relationship itself suddenly changes. It's when all is revealed during a full moon. Indeed, indeed it is. And in the chart for the full moon and on that day, Mercury is making a nearly perfect opposition to Saturn. That is exact that afternoon at two o'clock Pacific time. And this one speaks of a difficulty in speaking out. And the opposition, I think, with Mercury and Saturn feels like a cork in your mouth. <laughs> you know, oh, it's like uh -huh. you're, you have so much you want to say, you really want to put it out there, but something's just stopping you from saying what it is that you want to say. Saturn can be the brakes. Yeah. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we do well to not just blurt out every thought that we have <laughs> at every moment. We have them, as they say in When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, right. Mercury, though, has been finishing up its time in Cancer, which generally is a little more reticent about speaking out anyway. So having the opposition to Saturn isn't necessarily real difficult from that point of view, except in as much as if there are things that we do want to talk about, especially about feelings. I think with Mercury and Cancer and getting back to the idea of relationship again and, you know, maybe difficult conversations about this is how I've been feeling about whatever it is sure. in the relationship. But opposed to Saturn, what happens then the words come out if you finally get them out and they sometimes just sort of hit a brick wall. So either the other person really can't hear you or their mind is closed, their ears are closed, their heart is closed. But you have to say what you have to say, and who knows, sometimes you're kind of planting a little seed, and later on, after Mercury has moved on from Saturn, maybe it kind of gets through. Yeah. It's an interesting full moon. There's a lot going on between the difficulty in communicating and the pressure that something needs to change. Very good, then. What do we have next? We have Mars squaring Jupiter on August 4th, and... You noted here that the last time Mars came together with Jupiter was on March 20th. Mm -hmm. So this is the opening square. Yes, this is the opening square. Of course, this was right around the time that we were well on our way to a, a lockdown over the COVID pandemic. Yes. That's when it was actually started to be called a pandemic and things were noticeably closing down. We talked about this in episode 17, all in this together and how many astrologers at the time were talking about how this particular combination of planets 
did seem descriptive of what was going on with a pandemic and all of that. Yeah. So we're at a critical moment in this whole process that began back in March. And I think we all kind of know that. At first, it was a very conjunction experience where a lot of people seem to be on the same page about how to handle this emergency. And it's not really that way now. Different states are doing things differently about it. Different people have different opinions and convictions about how it's being handled. They sure do. Yeah. And that is definitely represented by a square. A square is always conflict. They're battling it out. Yeah, there's tension. Yeah. And usually it's because they're trying to find some kind of consensus, if only to change each other's minds. That's something sometimes planets and square are doing. It's about changing things, changing minds, changing direction, whatever it is. Right, right. We will have two more instances of the square because Mars will be turning retrograde in early September, and it will square Jupiter again on October 18th while it's retrograde. And then again, once it's gone direct, it'll make a final square to Jupiter on December 22nd. And Mars will actually be squaring all of those Capricorn planets, including Saturn and Pluto, as the fall comes. So it might be helpful for folks to think back to March and think about, besides the pandemic and all of that, what were the personal stories that were playing out for you? Because this would be a good week to think about that and use some of that energy in a positive way. I like your take on that, Jen. Thank you. But in the meantime, well, we're in Squaresville with Mars and Jupiter. Squaresville. Mars is, again, our trajectory, the way we're trying to move forward, make things happen. It's in Aries. It's very impatient. People are really tired of quarantine. You know, they're really tired of the whole subject and everything. Wasn't there a song, Hip to be Square? Yeah. Huey Lewis in the news, my friend. Huey Lewis. (laughs) Sing it, April. It's hip to be square. (laughs) Huey. Huey in the news. This is just one big lavish musical, this podcast, isn't it? That's excellent. It is excellent. So anyway, you know, the Mars is like, again, you know, the impatience, we want to get moving and all of that. Jupiter brings in the thing of people's belief systems and how we're really kind of in conflict over a lot of things. So we'll see, I think, this week, a lot of energy around that subject. Hopefully forward motion, but we shall see. But just knowing that it's coming up again in the fall and the beginning of winter that we're dealing with this. This is the end of Act One. Yes. We're getting ready for a scene change, I think, is what's happening. Oh, you're the theater person. Is that what they're doing? At the, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that's what's happening. All right. Also on August 4th, later that morning, speaking of the scene change, Mercury will enter Leo. Leo. <laughs> <laughs> You're leaving the matzo ball out Leo. there, Jen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't sing that high, April. I'm an alto. No, it's great. So you're doing a <laughs> counterpoint there. It's perfect. It's perfect. Uh. <laughs> so Mercury, is, of course, is the planet of communication, expression, the exchange of ideas. And as it changes signs, we usually see a subtle shift in the way people feel comfortable communicating their style of accepting, receiving information. So while it's been in Cancer, you know, Mercury is a little quieter in Cancer. Yeah, it's quite a different feeling. It is. It wants to hold its cards a little closer to its chest, usually because it's very vulnerable. Because when Mercury is going through a sign like Cancer, we tend to get our feelings hurt a little more easily when people say things that hit us the wrong way. 
Mercury going into Leo is a really interesting one, and we did talk about it a bit back in episode eight, Saturn and Pluto need a party. Yeah, Mercury was entering Aquarius then, and I remember you talking about Mercury and Leo because you have Mercury and Leo. Do I ever? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do remember talking about that a bit. Yeah, because Mercury is very strong in Aquarius. And at the time when we were talking about it, that kind of surprised you. Right. Because Mercury always travels very closely with the sun, you would think having it in the sign opposite the sun's natural sign would be difficult. And in fact, it does really well there. Yeah. I mean, first, let's say the wonderful things about it, because I do love my Mercury. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah, I have no problem. I I love having Mercury in Leo. It is very creative. It is very expressive. It's kind of performative. It likes to make an impact with the things that it says. Because it's a fixed sign, I think the nice thing about Mercury in Leo is there's a consistency Hmm. with communication. They're also good at sticking with things until they figure them out. Because Mercury is that part of us that is trying to come to an understanding of things or puzzle things out. Or if they're trying to figure out a computer program, they won't stop until they figured it out. And I don't mean that in particular. It's just an example. Yeah. Because some Mercury and Leo people are hopeless with computers, just like anything else. Right. But I think that they are steadfast and they'll really stick with things. Now, on the downside, if they are trying to say something, if they're trying to communicate something to you, they are like a dog with a bone and they won't stop until they've gotten their point across. You know, it's very emphatic. So Mercury is said to be in its fall in Leo. And that does seem strange. But I think it's because you have to really be careful with Mercury in the sign of the sun, that you're being a little too subjective about things. If you're the, you know, the mouthpiece for the sun. Yeah. If you have a king, and then you have the little court jester over here, who's the Mercury figure. The job of the little Mercury figure is to tell the king when he's being silly or when he's missing a point. Right. And if Mercury is in the sign of the monarch, he's less apt to do that. That makes sense. Yeah. What you have is a person that doesn't necessarily take criticism well. I take criticism horribly. I'm the first to admit it. I really do. Well, because the ego's involved. You know, uh-huh. because of Leo, you mean? I think because of the Leo thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And also because I'm always sure I'm right. Mm. I'm absolutely convinced that I'm right. Mm-hmm. And that's the downside of Mercury and Leo. It's that subjectivity. Yeah. So while Mercury is in Leo, which it will be for several weeks, we know that it's an excellent time. However, if you want to be doing anything that's fun and creative, if there is some project that you've been working on just for fun, just for you. This is such a nice time to do that. And often in the summer, we do have a little extra time to play during Leo's season. Very good. Yeah. On your birthday, my friend, Venus is coming to approach the North Node. Mm. She's going to shake hands with the North Node before she moves on her way on your birthday. Oh, I love that. I don't think she's shaking hands. I think she's accepting a ring or other piece of beautiful jewelry. Maybe she's hugging. Well, she would be a hugger. Yeah. Venus would be a hugger. She is, in any event, coming together with the North Node of the Moon, which strikes me as a lovely time for if you're in a position to be socializing at all. We think of the North Node often as bringing important people into our lives. And Venus is also about relationship and about 
social attraction and that kind of thing. Right. So if you're wanting even just to find more friends, connecting with like-minded people and so forth, you could do a lot worse than August 5th as Venus is coming together with that North Node. And it might be a little less romantic because Venus and Gemini just by itself is a little more descriptive of just people you can have fun talking to. Maybe she'll have a book club that day. Hey, that's an excellent idea. (laughs) Maybe I should have a birthday book club meeting. Wouldn't that be great? You totally should. I should come up with a book of the year that I'm going to share with people for my birthday. You totally should. Hooray. Now, you pointed out that the south node on that date will be on the galactic center, which is something that I frankly, have never paid a ton of attention to. So what are your thoughts? Just so folks know, the Galactic Center is at 27 degrees of a Sagittarius. As April just said, it's where the South Node currently is, and and Venus is across the Zodiac opposite that point. Now, the Galactic Center, to go back to astronomy for a second, is this enormous black hole at the center of our galaxy. So if you picture this, if you were a galactic bird up above the cosmos... Just as the Earth goes around the sun, our sun, our whole solar system, revolves around the galactic center, the center of the Milky Way galaxy. April, have you ever seen one of those you are here signs? Very big in the mall, very big in the shopping mall. Oh, big in the mall, yeah. Yes, you are here. (laughs) There's a little arrow pointing to the Milky Way, and there's an arrow with you are here. I'll post a link in the show notes. But what's fascinating to me about all of this is that our sun, our solar system, is just one of 200 billion stars in our galaxy. Billions and billions of stars. It's a number beyond comprehension, I'm telling you. Mm. Yeah. So how does this tie into astrology? Well, what I've learned about the symbolism of the galactic center is that it's connected to psychic sensitivity, kind of your spidey senses tingling, and you might get cosmic downloads and a sense of knowing things that go beyond your five earthly senses. So there might be something tied into this Venus conjuncting the North Node on that day. Mm, Okay. You might get messages about what to let go of, maybe, and Mm. you might want to pay attention to that. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah. That's a helpful image, actually. And the idea of the South Node, you know, moving through the Galactic Center, which, of course, we would have had 18 years ago as well. Oh, right. In 2002. Uh-huh. I mean, we've talked about the South Node as having to do with release, letting go of outmoded patterns and things like that. How do you think that fits in with the Galactic Center? I think that we might get these messages about how to release things, how to let go of things. Oh, and the things to let go of, right? Yeah, because that point is aligned with the Galactic Center, which is where all this energy might be coming from. I like that idea. That's really interesting. One thing I do remember hearing about the Galactic Center was it seemed that people who are very interested in science fiction often have a planet or personal point near the galactic center. Around 27 Sag. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it's beyond. It's out there. It's out there. It's already out there. It's this gymungous black hole. <laughs> it is gymungous indeed. <laughs> but, and that's very fitting for Sagittarius, you know, Yeah. The symbolism. So that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Oh, of course. I will look forward to seeing all of that happening on my very birthday. It's on your day. Yeah. yeah. Well, and while we're on the subject of lovely Venus. Yes. Venus is moving into Cancer where it is in my birth chart. Yeah. Everything's coming up April this week. Absolutely. As it should. Everything. As it should. And this is on August 7th at 8, 21 a.m. Pacific time. It'll be in Cancer through September 6th. 
And Venus always talks about the pleasure principle. What are we going to enjoy? If we were going to a shopping mall, what store would we want to go to when Venus is in Cancer? And with Cancer, it's Bed Bath & Beyond. Oh, yeah. I was going to say candles. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. It's beautiful things for the home. Linens. Linens. Oh, I have some very, very pricey linens that have lasted since 1988. Wow. That I still use because Venus in Cancer, you never let it go either once you buy it. So you might as well buy the very best stuff you can if you're going to buy things while Venus is in Cancer because they will pry it from your cold, dead hand. You will never <laughs> let go of it. So, do you tend to hang on to things? Oh, boy, do I ever. <laughs> Only certain things, but I'm not a big shopper. In fact, I don't like shopping at all. So it'll be things like books or that kind of thing that I really uh -huh. hoard. But, oh, my gosh, anything for the house, it has to be beautiful and great. And I spend hours fantasizing about patterns of fabric and all that. Just love that stuff. That's great. It's a very cozy Venus. It's a Venus who loves her home, takes pride in her home, wants to spend time with family. So while Venus is going through this sign, we can imagine that if you're looking for places, you know, in your life to really focus on if you want to enjoy yourself, if you want to have pleasure, these are the areas to do it. Now on the downside, yes, Venus, while she is in Cancer, has a little bit of a tough time of it, especially in the last half of August, because she's going to be running into conflict with Jupiter in Capricorn, Pluto in Capricorn, Saturn in Capricorn. She'll be opposing all of those, and then she'll square Mars and all of this before she leaves her sign. Yeah. So having that feeling of pleasure and relaxation, coziness, time with families, like for instance, over the weekend, I really wanted to go see my family, but they live 125 miles away and it's a lot of driving. Yeah. This is an example of how, well, maybe you want to spend time with people, you know, your family, but they're far away and you really can't easily do it. So that would be represented by the conflict with all of these other planets. The Capricorn clown car. Yes, the As Capricorn like clown car. And then Mars and Aries, which is just very different. Mars just wants to be by itself in Aries, so it can do its own thing in its own way in its own time. Sure. That is Venus in Cancer. And then as of September 6th, right around Labor Day, I suppose, it'll be moving into Leo. Wow. That's kind of a busy week. You have a busy birthday week, my friend. Yes, you do. Yes, I do indeed. Well, that's everything on the show sheet. Have we done it? <laughs> I take that as a yes. We've done it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks to all of you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd love it if you would rate and review the podcast and tell a friend about it as well. Maybe share it on social media. You can read show notes and full transcripts for each episode and leave your comments at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. If you find value in our show, I want to let you know that April and I both really enjoy coffee. So I would like to encourage you to go to BigSkyAstropod.com and toss five bucks into the contributions bucket to buy us a cup of coffee. Isn't that a good idea, April? And isn't it sad that a cup of coffee is five bucks? <laughs> are you talking about like two cups of coffee, one for each of us? Because, oh my gosh, are you serious? So maybe people should throw in 10 bucks. Well, no, as you know, my husband is an avid home coffee roaster. Yeah. Uh -huh. I have not bought coffee outside the house 
literally in years, unless we're traveling. Wow. But I applaud your idea of that. Is it five bucks or 10 bucks? I mean, honestly, is it five bucks for a cup of coffee? (laughs) I love what you are just astounded with right now is the price for coffee. Is that the, I I feel like George Bush Sr. when he was at the supermarket and didn't know how the thing worked. Is it just a regular cup of coffee or is it one of those real frou-frou things with lots of... fancy coffee. Okay, with many (laughs) ingredients. Well, for mine, just chip in a couple of bucks because I don't like the whole frou-frou coffee. So in any event, we thank you and we accept any contributions, donations that any of you would like to send our way. We appreciate y'all. Well, join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you next time.